Jim, beautiful, beautiful job, phenomenal job on that song for the cause of Christ. I live, I die. My whole life, all my joy is for the cause of Christ. All of history has been about Christ. All of the future is looking forward to Christ, everything that encompasses all that we know and that we experience, although we may not be able to fully comprehend it, is about pointing us to Christ. I am inadequate. I am unqualified. I'm not fit for the place that God has put me, but I want to live my life for the cause of of Christ. Amen, amen, amen. Thank Miss Jim for that song. Powerful, powerful message. We'll be in the book of Romans this morning, the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at verses 6, chapter number 1, verse 16 through 18 is where we will be at this morning. Brother Danny was saying this morning after Sunday school, he's teaching through the book of Revelation, doing a tremendous job teaching through the book of Revelation in our Sunday school class. And uh, he told me this morning afterwards, I said, that's some good stuff. He said, I just have to slow down. There's just so much. I just, I'm going to have to slow down. And uh, I feel that way about Romans. I'm like, well, we're going to knock out this many verses and it just keeps getting shortened and shortened and shortened until we're just two or three verses and there is just so much, so much uh, that could be said. I feel like even, even with the messages that were given that were barely skimming the surface of what is offered in the book of Romans. When we look into the Word of God, the Bible is filled with examples of men and women whose lives were completely changed when they encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. We could name many different individuals uh, who we know their story. We know the Samaritan woman. We know Matthew the tax collector. We know Zacchaeus uh, the wee little man. We can go on and on and on and we read story after story after story of men and women who when they encountered Christ, uh, their life was completely 100% changed and not only was their life changed but it was radically changed changed for the better. When we look throughout history from our time back, we encounter story after story after story of individuals who encountered the story or the account of the Lord Jesus Christ and as a result of that encounter, their lives were completely 100% radically changed for the better. We read the testimonies of evangelists. We read the testimonies of great preachers. We read the testimonies of missionaries that rocked entire continents. And if you go back to the beginning of their story, you will find that every one of them had a time in their life when they encountered the account of the Lord Jesus Christ and that encounter completely changed their life. We listen to the stories of men who came from the slums of sin to the service of their Savior. I imagine there are many in this auditorium this morning uh, who, could, who could relate to us that same transformation. 
They remember the time when they turned from themselves and they turned to God and as they look at their life from where they were to where they are now, they can say without a doubt that it is evident that God did a work in their life. He transformed them, He changed them, He recreated them and He delivered them from their sin. This encounter, this transformation, this account of the Lord Jesus Christ is what we refer to with the word the gospel. Oftentimes you will hear in preaching uh, we will refer to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will say that you need to believe the gospel uh, to be saved. Many times we'll make many references to that word the gospel. What are we talking about uh, when we speak of the gospel? I believe whenever we speak of the word the gospel we are talking about of course uh, the entirety of this book. But to make that a little more clear, not only are we speaking of the entirety of this book, we're speaking of the message of this book. From the first page of this book to the last page of this book, the message of the Bible is this, and that is that salvation comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. We can look into this book. We can find that there are historical records in this book. Those historical records will identify and clarify and verify that Jesus Christ is the Savior. We will look into this book and we will find all types of different types of literature. We find poetry, we find history, we find prophecy, but all of it has one purpose and that is to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we say that you need to believe the gospel, what we are saying is that you need to believe the account of the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and there is no other way of salvation except through believing in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. In Paul's letter to the Romans, we find a treatise focused on the explanation and following with that the application of the gospel to the individual. Paul takes the book of Romans and he explains the gospel. He explains what it is. He explains how it brings salvation. And then he explains how we as individuals are to access the benefits that come from believing in the gospel. In Apostle Paul's day, there were many who were already confusing what it meant to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There were already those who were confusing what it meant to be a follower of Christ. Paul therefore wrote this letter and of course he sent it to the church at Rome and then it was distributed to the other churches and in this letter it answered and clarified this question. What must I do to be saved? You know I believe that is a question that every individual needs to ask themselves. I believe it's a question that every individual in some form or fashion does ask themselves. Because every individual wonders if what they're trusting in is good enough to get them into heaven. 
There are those who have made professions of faith. Uh, they've prayed a prayer. They've came to an altar. They've answered a preacher's questions. They've been baptized. They've lived a life of good works. Uh, they've done everything that they thought they were supposed to, uh, but they question themselves uh, in times uh, of reality. They question themselves uh, and they wonder, uh, is what I have done sufficient uh, to take me to eternity? What must I do? to be saved. What does it mean to be saved? In verses 16 down through verse number 18, Paul establishes a theme for the remainder of the book of Romans. In our past lessons, we looked, of course, at Paul's introduction. We looked at his greeting. Here in verse 16 to 18, Paul is setting the theme for the book of Romans. Read with me verse 16 down through verse number 18. It says, Therefore I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Here in these three verses, Paul sets the theme for the book of Romans and the theme is this, the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ. Let us pray and we'll get into the message this morning. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the freedom to meet together to worship together, to pray together, to fellowship together. Lord, I love the church of God. I love the people of God. I thank you, dear Lord, that you've given us a place where we can meet together. I thank you, dear Lord, that you've given us a facility, Lord, wherein we can be comfortable as we meet together. But Father, Lord, most of all, I thank you that you have given us the Word of God. Uh, Father, Lord, that through your Word, uh, Lord, we can clearly find and understand the answers to the questions that plague our heart. Lord, I know that the Bible from beginning to end, the purpose of your word is to point us to Christ. Father, I pray that you will help us to never cease to faithfully preach, proclaim, and explain the truth of the gospel. Lord, as we look at this message this morning, if there be one here that doesn't know you as Savior, if there's someone here, Lord, that is uncertain of what they're trusting in and is enough to get them to eternity, Father, I pray that you will take your word and, Lord, through me, your servant, uh, Lord, you will open to their heart, Lord, what it means uh, to accept you as Lord and Savior. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Bless us now, I pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This morning I want to consider these three verses and what they tell us concerning the gospel of Christ. The first thing that we see in this passage is the purpose of of the gospel, the purpose of the gospel. Why do we have the gospel? What is the reason for the gospel? What is the purpose of the gospel? Romans 1 and verse 16, the first verse of our text says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now last week we looked at this verse and we kind of broke this verse down, but this morning I just want to focus on one thing concerning the purpose of the gospel. As I said a little bit ago when we speak of the gospel, we are referring to the story 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we're referring to, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that record the life of Christ here on earth. We call those four books the Gospels because they tell us the story of Christ. Whenever we speak of the Gospel, we're referring to the story of Christ. We're referring to the promised Messiah, the redemption of mankind. That is what the Gospel is. The Gospel encompasses everything that points us to a Savior. The history of mankind, if we look at mankind and we look back through history, uh, it's pretty evident to see that the history of mankind reveals uh, man's need for a Savior. Uh, We can look at the uh, way man has lived, how man has conducted himself, uh, the decisions men have made, uh, the choices that they've done, the vile wicked acts that they've committed. Uh, We look back through history uh, and it's evident that history reveals man's need for a Savior. We look into the Word of God at prophecy and we see that the promises of prophecy give us the identity of our Savior. We read through the Old Testament. Now we've been looking at this some on Wednesday nights. We look at the Old Testament. We look at the prophecies. And why do we have the Old Testament? Why do we have these prophecies? Because they verify that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the Savior of the world. It helps give us a basis for our faith that we can verify that He is indeed the Messiah. The entire book is telling us about redemption. The Old Testament identifies that Jesus Christ is the Savior. The traditional sacrifices reading in the Old Testament and we read of all the sacrifices and offerings, the blood sacrifices, the wave offerings and all the things that we see listed in the Old Testament and we wonder why is this? Why did they do this? Why did they practice these things. It is to give you and I an explanation of the purpose of the Savior. We see that we have a need for a Savior. This is seen from the history of mankind. We see the identity of the Savior in the prophecies. And now we see the purpose or the reason for a Savior explained through the blood sacrifices. We know that The the entire purpose of this book is to reveal, to identify, to explain, and to present the Savior. The word gospel refers to the entirety of the message of a redeeming Messiah and how you and I can obtain this benefit. That is the purpose of this entire book. Thus, the purpose of the gospel can be summed up in one word. The purpose of the gospel can be summed up in one word, and that word is this, salvation. The purpose of the gospel is one. And the purpose of the gospel is this, salvation. That's the reason God gave us this book was to tell us about a Redeemer who could provide salvation. The purpose of the gospel is salvation. Now, there are many other things that we can cover. And after salvation, God begins a redemptive work in our life. And that redemptive work begins to bear fruit and we begin to act differently because we've been made a new creature. Our wanter has changed and what we used to want to do is gone. What we now want to do is completely different and we begin to live life completely differently than we did before. 
Many people take this book and they try to use this book as a moral guideline. But you can't follow the rules that are found in this book. The moral principles that we find in this book identify those who have had a work of Christ on the inside and it clarifies how you can know for sure whether or not you're on your way to heaven by looking and seeing if you have been changed into an individual who now has the characteristics that are identified as Christians. But many people misuse this book and they try to hammer people and beat people into conforming to the law and miss the general message of the book which is salvation. The purpose of the gospel is salvation. For centuries mankind has tried to create organizations and systems and processes whereby they can take and change the behaviors of men but we have seen over and over and over and over that they don't work. The only thing that will change the behavior of men is when the Lord Jesus Christ takes out the old stony heart and puts in a new pure heart and this person that was degenerate and rejected and sinful becomes someone who desires to be like Christ. When that happens, the behavior changes. The message of this book is salvation. The purpose of the gospel is salvation. You say, Pastor John, you're preaching on salvation a lot here lately. Well, the Lord has led me to preach on salvation a lot. And I believe the reason He has led me to preach on it so much is because I believe that churches are full of people who are depending on their morality. They are depending on something that they did as a child that they didn't understand. They are depending on a false understanding of the Word of God and they have never experienced the life-changing work of salvation. The purpose of this book is salvation. The entirety of Scripture is given for one purpose. That is the redemption of mankind. The Old Testament prophecies reveal the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrifices explain His purpose. The New Testament presents His provision, the salvation of mankind. Acts chapter number 4 and verse number 12 says this, Neither is there salvation in any other. No salvation available in any other persons or any other means or any other avenue. There is salvation, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So first we see the purpose of the gospel. Second of all, in verse number 17, we see the process of the gospel. The process of the gospel. How do we obtain this salvation? How do we obtain this salvation? Verse 17 says this, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So if the purpose of the gospel is salvation then what is the process of the gospel? How do we obtain salvation? How do we benefit from this salvation? 
There's many questions. Is it freely given to all? Do all men automatically receive this salvation? Is it something that must be earned? Many questions can be asked about the process of the gospel. We understand now from the previous point that salvation is provided through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the sacrifice for all of mankind. But how do we obtain it? What is the means whereby we can benefit from this salvation? There are many people, many, many people who believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, but they have no idea how to access salvation. You see, a head knowledge, believing in a historic event, is not what brings salvation. Now we differentiate, we often say the head and the heart, which they are merely physical parts of our physical body, but it helps us to understand what we're trying to say because many times we uh, store knowledge and facts in our brain, but whenever we really care about something or really care about someone, we'll say that it comes from the heart. I know that the heart is just an organ. What we're really speaking of is something deeper, and that is uh, there is a human capacity to understand, but we are not, as we looked at a few weeks ago, we are not uh, necessarily... A, a physical being with a spirit, but we are a spirit uh, that is draped uh, with a body. Uh, and so we have a physical capability of understanding things, uh, but in order for there to be salvation, it must affect uh, the real you. Uh, it must be something uh, that affects the spirit. Uh, it must be something uh, that as we would identify it, uh, it is something that affects the inside. Uh, it is something that changes how I think. Uh, it changes changes how I reason. It changes what I want. It is something that completely revolutionizes me. So when I say that there are people who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that have never accepted salvation, their physical capability to receive and understand facts has been activated. But there has never been a time when they within themselves gave their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. There has never been a time when they put their full complete trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, openly inviting Him to move in, take over, and to rule their life, to change who they were. So although they have a mental ascent, they've never given themselves to Him in salvation. So we ask ourselves, how, how do I receive this salvation? What is the process? We see in verse number 17 that Paul answers this question, and he tells us that salvation is obtained by faith. This is the process. This is the process. He says in verse number 17, for therein in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed, or we could say the righteousness of God is obtained from the gospel, from faith to faith. Now that's an unusual phrase. That's not a, the way that we would normally word things in today's vernacular, but its meaning is very simple. Whenever we look at this phrase, from faith to faith, we're simply saying that it must be accepted by faith and it must be followed by faith. 
How do we receive this gospel? How do we receive the salvation? From faith to faith. It is accepted by faith and then it is followed by faith. You see, many people will make a mental ascent that I, I believe those events may have happened, but they never apply it to their life. Therefore, they never follow it. Salvation is obtained by faith in that we receive it. We hear the truth. We, we listen to the truth. We receive the truth. We take in the truth but then it changes our life. We are a new creature in Christ and we begin to follow the precepts of the Word of God. There is so much preaching. I'm going to run a little rabbit trail right here. There is so much preachers, so many preachers, so much preaching being done today that is taking this book and throwing it aside as if it is no longer necessary and saying that you don't have to live according to the book. You don't have to practice the book. That you can just live however you want to. You can do what you want to. The problem is that the men that are promoting the gospel like that do not understand how salvation works because salvation changes me. It's not a rule book that I have to follow, but it's an identifier that tells me how I'll live if I've truly believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, whenever the Spirit of God who inspired this book moves in on the inside of you, you don't have to read the rules to know how to behave. He tells you how to behave. And you will naturally adapt your life to the principles of the Word of God. What is the process of the gospel? It is from faith to faith. He explains this further just in case you didn't understand what he meant with that phrase. He says the just. Just means redeemed, sanctified, born again. The just shall live by faith. Now many times we use that phrase if we need money to buy gasoline and we don't have no money, we trust God to provide it. And I believe that it can be applied in that way, but I don't think that's the original meaning of that phrase. When it says the just shall live by faith, it means that my life is directed and guided and motivated by my belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. I live by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, following Him. So we see the process of the gospel. The promise and revelation of redemption through Jesus Christ becomes a reality when any individual believes on the Lord Jesus Christ completely 100% allowing him to move in and change who they are. The Old Testament law teaches us that we're incapable of keeping the law. The sacrifices teach us of a substitutionary payment for those that fail to keep a law. And the prophecies promise a coming, perfect, globally sufficient redeemer. That's what the Bible is. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John and the remainder of the New Testament reveal that Jesus Christ is this perfect, sufficient sacrifice. And Paul, here in the book of Romans, makes clear that salvation, forgiveness of sin, and a promise of eternal life comes through faith in everything that is included in this book. Belief is what brings 
salvation, believing that Jesus is the sacrifice, believing that His blood is sufficient to wash away all my sin, believing that He can create in me a new heart, that He can restore me to the joy of His salvation, believing that it is possible to have a daily fellowship and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that the Holy Spirit moves on the inside of me and takes over and guides and directs me. This is believing the gospel and this is salvation. Heaven isn't gained through doing good deeds. Heaven isn't gained by attending church. Heaven isn't gained through saying prayers or doing penance. Heaven is gained through the faith of the gospel. That is how we receive salvation. Very quickly, I'll wrap this up. Paul then speaks of the protection of the gospel. The benefit, or could we say why it is that we need the gospel. Verse number 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Why do we need the gospel? You see that word for always refers to something that came before. We see there in verse number seven or Verse number 17, he said, For therein, speaking of the gospel, which was mentioned in verse number 16. And then we come to verse number 18, and he says, For the wrath of God is revealed. Why do we need this salvation that's being described in verse number 17? Because of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness an unrighteousness of men. Why do we need the gospel? Because God is a righteous God. He is a holy God. His nature will not allow Him to keep company with ungodliness. His nature will not allow him to tolerate sin and wickedness and unrighteousness. He cannot have anything to do with it. Therefore, he instructed us that we are to obey his principles that we might have fellowship with him. But because we are humans and we are faulty and we fail and we realize that we're unable to keep the law, we find out that we are ungodly. Godly, we are unrighteous, we do not know God, and therefore the wrath of God will be poured out on ungodliness. It will be poured out on unrighteousness. The wrath of God. What is this wrath of God that we talk about? The Bible tells us uh, very plainly in many places uh, about a lake of fire. The Bible tells us very plainly in many places uh, about eternal punishment. Uh, It tells us about a fire that is never quenched uh, and a worm that dieth not. Uh, It tells us of agony. Uh, It tells us of torment. Uh, It tells us of flames. Uh, The Bible is very clear uh, that those who reject God will experience the wrath of God. You say, well, I believe that is unfair. How is it that God could just up and throw us into hell? He doesn't. He doesn't. As a matter of fact, He makes it very appealing to believe on Him. 
He gives us ample opportunity to put our trust in Him. He makes it very simple. All you have to do is give your life to me. Believe in me. Allow me to regenerate you. That's all it takes is for you to come to me and accept me for salvation and you will live a life of blessing and have an eternity of bliss. And He gives the gospel. He gives us the Word of God. He speaks to us through His creation. He speaks to us through His handiwork. He reveals that He is who He is. But the problem is there are men who reject Him because they love their ungodliness. They love their unrighteousness. And they reject God and they refuse to accept Him. Therefore, the wrath of God will be poured out on them. Why do I need to accept the gospel? Because it is the only way to avoid the wrath of God. It is the only way to avoid the judgment of God. The only way to be protected from the wrath of God is to be covered by the blood of Christ. Every sin, every sin ever committed is eternally owed. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The only payment, the only payment that will satisfy your debt for your sin is death. Every sin ever committed is eternally owed. If you run up a debt on a credit card, it doesn't matter how much money you give to the Salvation Army, you still owe the debt on the credit card. It doesn't matter how much food you give to the homeless. You still owe the debt on the credit card. It doesn't matter how many people's gas tanks you fill up with gas. You still owe the debt on the credit card. There is not enough good that you can do that it would cause a lawyer to say, we're going to forgive the debt. You still owe the debt. Every sin that has ever been committed has a debt and that debt is death. Every lie you told when you were in school, every time you cheated on your pace work or on your book work, every time that you... Uh Every time that you cheated at work or every time you told a lie, every time you were dishonest, every time you picked up something that didn't belong to you, every sin is forever owed. There are those who believe if I do enough good, I can go to heaven. God's got a big scale. He puts my bad on one side, my good on the other. I'm sorry to tell you, if you've only committed one sin in your entire life, your penalty is death. You are facing the wrath of God. No amount of good will take that away. The only thing that can take that away is what this whole book is about. The Lord Jesus Christ. The promised Messiah the Redeemer, the perfect sacrifice that was exemplified in the Old Testament with the spotless Lamb, He can take away the sin. His blood can cover and wash away your sin so that you can avoid the wrath of God. In the book of Exodus, I'm finishing very quickly here. In the book of Exodus... Children of Israel were under bondage. Pharaoh, hard taskmaster, enslaving the children of Israel. Moses, God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses, of course, goes to Pharaoh. 
says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And following this, quite a story, very interesting story, a series of events take place, 12 plagues. God sending judgment on the land of Egypt because they will not let the children of Israel go. The last and final plague, God said, I am going to send a death angel. And every firstborn... Now sometimes whenever we hear this, we only think of children. I am the firstborn of my father. Therefore, I would have been included in this. Every firstborn will die. Every firstborn will die in the whole land. But there is a way to escape this punishment. Here's how you escape the punishment. You take a spotless lamb. This was an early picture of what Christ was going to do for us. You take a spotless lamb. You sacrifice that spotless lamb. And you take and you paint the blood of that spotless lamb on the doorpost at your house. This wasn't just for the Israelites. The Egyptians also knew that this was a way they could avoid the punishment. It was available to everyone. Paint the blood on the doorpost. And when the death angel comes, if the blood is on the doorpost, the angel will pass over you. The death angel won't step in. He won't take the life of the firstborn in that household. This is all you have to do. Put the blood on the doorpost and you will be safe. The Bible tells us that that night the death angel came and it says there was great wailing all over the land of Egypt because of those that died. You know what that tells me? is that all over the land of Egypt, they didn't put the blood on the doorpost. All over the land of Egypt, they ignored the provision that God had made and they paid the price. The Bible tells us that in the lake of fire, there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth because they failed to acquire the salvation that was offered by the Lord Jesus Christ. We often sing the hymn, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. I say to you this morning that I'm not worthy to go to heaven. But the blood of Jesus Christ has made it possible. I say to you this morning, there's no one here that is worthy to go to heaven. But the blood of Jesus Christ has made it possible. All that is required is for you to apply that blood to your life. You say, Pastor John, how do I do that? How do I apply that blood to my life? How do I access that? The Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says confess, that if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You say, Pastor John, I've, I've always believed in God. I've always believed in Jesus. That's good. The Bible says that the devils also believe and they tremble. Here's the question. 
Have you ever verbalized to God, God, today, I'm putting my trust in you. God, today, I am asking that you apply the blood of the cross to my life. I'm praying that you forgive me. I'm praying that you wash me. I'm praying that you cleanse me. And today, I put my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you found that time when you gave your life to Christ? Salvation, the process is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask each of you to stand there where you are. Miss Debbie's going to make her way to the piano. This morning as Miss Debbie plays on the piano, if the Lord has spoke to your heart, if you're unsure, if you're wondering if what you're trusting in is enough to get you to heaven, as Miss Debbie plays on the piano this morning, I beg of you, come to this altar and make your peace with God. Call upon Him and say, today I'm putting my eternal trust in you. Today I am going to believe in you. Today we're going to paint the blood on the doorpost so that I can be delivered from the wrath that is to come. If the Lord spoke to your heart this morning, you come.